I thought it'd be kind of interesting to to, uh, to look at least at, at, at some scripture passages with reference to palms and then Easter Lily. Now, palms, of course, we, we kind of attribute to Palm Sunday, right? But they are used um, in the Christian church also for this for the uh, the theme of victory as well. So, you know, think of uh, Palm Sunday, for example. We might look at uh, Matthew 21, verse 8. By way of example, <clears throat> would someone volunteer to read uh, verse 8 of Matthew 21? And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. All right. And then we also know what they said in verse 9, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Uh, a portion of this, of course, is from Psalm 118. Um, but verse 8, specifically the, the palm branches, um, it's a sign of victory, at least uh, um, biblically speaking. Uh, there's also the place in Revelation chapter 7 where we find... Uh, Poems that are referenced. Let's look at that Revelation chapter 7. Can I have a volunteer to read verse 9, please? After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number all of, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, and sitting before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Yeah, and then in verse 10, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And of course, the Lamb is a reference to Jesus Christ, uh, the Lamb who was slain, who is now risen. Um, we also have... Uh, Kind of the idea of victory in John 5, or 1 John chapter 5. Let's look at that. 1 John chapter 5, and uh, I'd like a volunteer to read verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is that? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? All right. So, um, if we, if you just read verse four, um, there may be a lot of uh, misuse and misapplication of this verse because you know how often do we hear somebody say, "Oh, I'm glad I have my faith," or they'll speak about faith kind of in in, in a nebulous, vacuous kind of way that they determine what they believe, whereas the Christian faith is always centered on Christ Jesus. And now we get from verse 5, uh, you know, except the one who believes, not just generally, because we're reminded in James that even the demons believe and tremble. But theirs is not saving faith. Uh, saving faith always, well, faith always has an object. The question then becomes, what is that object of one's faith? And to say, uh, you know, I'm glad I have my faith, uh, some would some would, uh, you know, kind of extend that idea and say, I'm, I'm, I believe that I believe, you know, kind of thing, rather than I believe in Christ, 
you know, I'm thankful for believing, but there's no mention of the objects. Uh, because I, I think there are many who, who believe today what they want to believe without basis, or at least without scriptural basis, without what the Bible, you know, apart from what the Bible says. You know, um, you know, one of the, uh, you know, one of the the ways, for example, that some might try to encourage others at a funeral is say, is to say um, that, well, I know your loved one is looking down on you right now. Which is kind of superstitious and mystical because we have no foundation in the Bible concerning that. However, we do know with certainty that one who has died having faith in Christ is with the Lord. Uh, so think of the, the, the thief on the cross where Jesus says, Today you shall be with me in paradise. You know, the body and the soul will reunite at the resurrection. Uh, but for the time being, the soul um, at, at one's death, uh, the soul and the body are separated. Um, but we have that confidence because the Lord himself says that. And when asked by the Sadducees, you might recall, when asked by the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection nor about angels, they gave this account, and, and Jesus refers them to Exodus chapter 3, you know, um, where... Uh, we have the reference to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus uses that from Exodus chapter 3 to speak about the resurrection. Which means that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not dead, um, but living with the Lord. Um, so, you know, that, that we make those distinctions. And so also here with reference to, to faith, the Christian faith is always founded on the object, which is Christ. You know, and, and the faith is based on what God himself has made known. You know, so uh, I, I read something recently um, that, that really kind of surprised me. Has anyone heard of, um, oh, um, I know his last name is, I want, Craig, Lane Craig? Is that an apologist? Jenny Craig. Yeah. No, no, not that. Uh, I forget his first name now. I don't know why. But there was some kind of discussion, um, you know, with reference to, I think it was Lane Craig. He's an, a Christian apologist. You could find him on YouTube and the like. And, and much of what he says is really good. Um, but then uh, apparently there's a disconnect between what he's saying concerning creation in Genesis with what you, you've heard the name Ken Ham before. Yeah. Answers in Genesis, right? Um, and Lane Craig made this comment about uh, Adam and Eve, you know, they, or, or the account of Genesis somewhat being figurative, which is, which is really surprising to me, uh, because he's an apologist for one, and the claim is, of course, you know, using the Bible. Um, but, but I, I think there, there's a large move today among Christians, you know, to, to look at the Bible in such a way that, that, that says, okay, this doesn't have to be taken literally for it to have meaning and truthfulness. But what happens is if you take the meaning, if you take the, the historicity out of the text, you also lose its meaning. It's almost like uh, you've heard the phrase, you know, eating your cake and having it in the icing, too. Say that again, please. The cake and the icing analogy, you know, somebody's eating cake and, you know, they want the icing, too. 
Um, and uh, you know, kind of this idea we can have the Bible, but we can make it really, or, or we can, it, it says what it does, but it doesn't mean what it says necessarily, um, based on what it says. So, like you know, you've heard of like with reference to Jonah, right? That's only a, a you know, some would say that this is only a story without factualness. It's not objective. It's more you know like a like a, a feel-good story kind of thing. But interestingly, there was a real place called Nineveh. Mm-hmm. There were real people living in this city called Nineveh, um, in, in, in uh, I think it's Babylon. Um, and, um, you know, just the account, you know, is, 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 uh, sounds factual because it is factual. Um, what people have a hard time believing, of course, is that someone lived in a fish for three days and three nights. Um, but I, I think there have been reports over the years indicating that, yeah, people have survived in the belly of a fish for a number of days. And that's outside of the biblical account, but related to it. You know, uh, and, and what, of course, what does he preach? He preaches repentance, which is kind of a common theme, and as actually is the common theme throughout the prophets. Repent. And uh, the Lord did relent, um, you know, from that account, or, you know, from destroying Nineveh at that time. But later it was destroyed because they went, they, they turned back again. Uh, but, uh, but with reference to uh, the palms, we, we see that just in a few places. But in these few places with Jesus' uh, entry into Jerusalem, that's almost like a, fic- a victory dance in a way. Um, at least that's how it can be expressed. But we also know that that's the beginning of Holy Week, which is, uh, you know, considered to be uh, the, the the somberest week of the Christian Church. You know, leading up to, of course, the death of Christ. Um, but but even before before death, there there was that pending victory. Uh, just as he said before, at least three times in the Gospels, he instructed his disciples that he would rise from the dead. Right. So after you know the the, the Son of Man would be betrayed into the hands of sinners, would be uh, uh, beaten, uh, would re- receive uh, you know uh, what's the word I'm looking for, but you know smitings. Uh, he would be crucified, and then three days, and he would die. Three days later, he would rise from the dead, right? Um, which makes the uh, the resurrection accounts all the more uh, surprising in in the sense, not so much of the resurrection, but because of the unbelief of his disciples, right? So I recall the women came to the tomb, and and in one account. Uh, the angel says he has risen just as he said. So you kind of wonder. I mean, they're human. I mean, that that's the, the the humanness of the account. How did the disciples respond when they saw Jesus initially? They thought it was a spirit. Yeah. You know, or a, a ghost. You know, how could this be true? Kind of thing. You know, and, and, and the two disciples on the road to Maus, we didn't get that reading this, this year. Um... But uh, on the road to Emmaus, uh, the two disciples walking in that direction did not recognize Jesus. 
Mary did not recognize Jesus in, until he said, Mary, right? Um, and uh, even, even when Jesus appeared, we'll hear that today in, in the Gospel reading from Luke 24, when he appeared to the disciples, um, initially in Luke's account, uh, they thought that they saw a ghost. And even there, especially there, it's almost like, uh, um, you know, uh, kind of a, uh, a prefiguring or, or a, for, uh, a, for, uh, a before defense of those who would claim that Jesus only died or only rose physically or spiritually from the dead, that he wasn't really there. Uh, when Jesus appears to the disciples in, in Luke 24, um, when they're locked behind doors and, and so on and so forth, you know, he, he, they think they see a ghost, and he says, uh, does a ghost have flesh and bones like you see I have? And then he says, do you have something to eat? You know, uh, which, which is to indicate, of course, that he was a fleshly being, right? Not just spiritually. Um, not just kind of visible to the eye, but, um, uh, but kind of untangible or intangible. You know, can't be touched. Kind of thing, um, but but he he rose victoriously from the dead. So the palms are, are seen as a sign of victory. Um, so as he enters in, and you know we, we kind of get this idea because uh, what 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 Sunday is is uh, before Palm Sunday? Yeah, which is kind of amazing if you think just in terms of the timeline, because he's transfigured before James Peter, or, you know, Peter James and John in his glory, and uh, Peter wants uh, Jesus to stay like that. He also wants Moses and Elijah to stay there too. That's why he said, hey, because he didn't know what to say, you know, let us make three booths for you, or tabernacles, you know, uh, places where you could reside, uh, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, because he didn't know what to say. And then we hear that voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, hear him. and that happened just before Palm Sunday. Um, so, uh, you know, according to, you know, the church here anyway, the transfiguration and then Palm Sunday begins Holy Week, right? Um, it, it, it moves very quickly. And then even now we have, uh, you know, from Easter to the Ascension, we have 40 days. Actually, not a long period of time, just over a month. Uh, we, we talked about this in a different context. Remember when the, the people of Israel left Egypt? It was within a month's time, pretty much, that they began complaining. There's oh, no yeah. food, there's no water, etc., etc. Um, Forty days, then the ascension, and then they had to, the disciples had to wait only ten days after that for Pentecost, and then they began their work. You know, uh, but throughout those 40 days, throughout that month period of time month plus before Christ's ascension, Jesus taught his disciples about the kingdom of God, right? And then he ascended into heaven, okay? So that, that's a little bit to say about palms. Um, we might also think of the Easter lily most uh, readily, right? Uh, which uh, uh, beautifies and also gives uh, a, a specific fragrance too. It's it, it's very different from poinsettias. Poinsettias have their own fragrance, right? Uh, but lilies certainly do. And it, it kind of brings to mind uh, spring. Even though I, I've noticed, is, is this kind of a normal 
thing here that you kind of you know get warmer and then get cooler, get oh, yeah. warmer, get cooler. Okay. Because we we would have times like that in Wisconsin too, but uh, um, bet you don't have wind. <laughs> yeah, well, we get wind every now and then, but not like every day here. <laughs> well, I don't hang up the jacket till June anyway, so. Yeah, I, I, I wore my overcoat today in the car, and then I just took it off because, you know, I, I don't know, maybe it was that 20-minute drive <laughs> or whatever. It got warmer. Yes. If you're out of the wind, it's warm. Sun and no wind, and that's a good day. Mm -hmm. May I say, hang on to your car door. Yeah, sometimes you have to, yeah, depending see, where it's parked, right? You'll see cars driving around town, and the front fender's all caved in where, where the wind got the door and folded it around. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those, those little levers that are on there are not always so strong, are they? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, it's 70 mile an hour or 50 mile an hour. Or yeah. 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 I, I guess I, I guess 10 to 10 to 20 miles an hour is pretty average, right? Yeah. Well, that would be a nice day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've seen it 70 mile an hour steady state with gust up to 90. Oh, really? Yeah. To look forward to it, I guess. Yeah. And be careful during the summer driving along 70 because you'll be seeing tumbleweeds. Oh, tumbleweeds, yeah. I, I, I've seen those, and some of them look like they're, they're pretty big. Yeah, Sometimes, they are. Yeah, size of bulls wagon. I've seen tumbleweeds up in Oregon, too. My favorite little growth waste is nice. Mm -hmm. There's tumbleweeds up there. Don't hit one. Yep. The stem will bust your radiator. Yep. I have to remember that. It's like an obstacle course when you're driving. Yeah. I'm reminded yeah, of well, Gabe Frogger. Frogger, yeah. Cutting across the road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it would be so much easier if the wind was steady. You know, if you notice, like, tumbleweeds, they'll, they'll stop, like, on one side, and then they'll yeah. a little bit more. And it's like, okay, if I time this just right. Yeah. When well, you're driving in the wind and you go behind a building, yeah. and all of a sudden you're swerving toward the building. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's get back on track. Okay, well, I was going to say, you yeah. know, I don't think it's so unusual that the disciples really thought Jesus was a ghost because he just was all of a sudden in the room. How yeah. would they interpret that other than he wasn't manifested anymore? He wasn't incarnate. He was... Well, he... he and, and that's, that's you know, so, that there is there there is that. You know, how did he come in? You know, kind of idea. But when he caught, when he got in, it was just well, like you know. Well, but then there, again, if the people didn't recognize him, yeah. okay. So what did he look like? Where did he get his clothes? That's what I want to know. People just have to make an entrance. So I think, you know, it's and the other thing I think is that it's a really good example for us <clears throat> that the people that were with him and knew him intimately were still uncertain and unsure and, and didn't understand. Therefore, it's not terrible for us to question and be uncertain and not understand. Well, yeah, remember, he, he does say to Thomas, do not be unbelieving, right. unbelieving. Yep. You know, so... You know what? What we can take from, especially that account and the other accounts, is is the graciousness, of course, of God in Christ Jesus. Not to, you know, not to just overlook 
but to forgive. You know, so I mean, interestingly too, in, in the accounts of, of the Lord's you know appearing after his resurrection to his disciples, in John's gospel and in Luke's gospel, one of the initial words or sentences that Jesus speaks is, Well, how come you don't believe? Right? He doesn't say that, but he says, Peace to you. So they're 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 distraught. You know, they're troubled, they're concerned, they're worried. You know, we hear that from the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You know, here, uh, this man, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, we believe to be a prophet. And uh, we heard this report that, uh, you know, from some, some of the women that, that he was not in the tomb, you know, and, and the like. Uh, they, they were genuinely kind of probably in a quandary. What are we going to do now? Because the one who, who had been teaching us and saying these wonderful things, we believed him to be the Messiah. Uh, Jesus, or Peter calls him the Christ, the Son of God. Uh, the centurion, um, when he sees Jesus' death, he says, surely this was the Son of God. And, uh, you know, they're, they're in this uh, pickle, this predicament. Uh, but Jesus comes in and he doesn't condemn them in their, uh, their doubt, their disbelief. But he, he gives them the word that really matters to encourage their faith. And, and even to Thomas, remember Thomas who said, unless I see and touch, I won't believe. And, and interestingly in the account, we're not told whether or not Thomas actually touched the marks. That sounds a lot like Luther in, in, uh, at the Diet of Worms. In what way? He says, unless I am convinced by the scripture, He's yeah. got this whole thing. If if this doesn't tell me that I'm convinced this way, then I can't recant. And Thomas is the same way. Unless I see, yeah. I can't believe. It's a very, I, I see a parallel there. Yeah, and, and I've said this before, that, uh, you know, the accounts in, in, in Scripture, you know, of course, Paul says that, that what was written before was written for our learning. Um, we might also uh, you know, speak of, of that learning by way of encouragement, you know, by way of God's grace and favor that is not dependent on you. Yeah. And, and, and therefore, you know, we, we see words of admonition all over Scripture, but all over Scripture also do we see words of encouragement. You know, so to hear of David's fall, to hear of Peter's uh, kind of boastfulness and arrogance, you know, uh, the disciples, uh, the, the prophets kind of lamenting, how long, O oh Lord, and why are you doing this? Um, you know, we, we, we see those accounts and we hear about them, and uh, the Lord never approves of them. Uh, but this is, you know, certainly the, 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 uh, the result of our human condition. <clears throat> and shows us our weaknesses, but at the same time, you know, we, we, we learn of our weaknesses, and we, we, we may even see ourselves in, 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 the, uh, in, in the, uh, the saints of Old and New Testament. We, we see ourselves. And if, you know, and, and Luther speaks of this uh, very clearly in, in places, as it was for Paul. Remember Paul who persecuted the church? You know, well, how could God ever forgive? Well, if God forgave Paul and Peter and David and, you know, Adam and Eve, I mean, interestingly, he asked them the question, of course, you know, what have you done kind of thing. 
They know their sin, but what does he say? Well, it's confession. What's that? It's confession. Well, and that's that's intriguing with Adam and Eve. They didn't really confess. When God asked Adam, he says, the woman you gave me. And then when he asks Eve, she immediately says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. I mean, she did. You know, there, there was no way of getting around the fact that they did eat the fruit. Yeah, but they push it on somebody else. Right. It's somebody else's fault. Yeah, which is amazing because God curses the serpent. But in that curse on the serpent, you know, that's a promise to Adam and Eve that the seed was coming. You know, and... and uh, you know, one might make the case, and, and potentially could make the case, that they there, there was nowhere there for them to turn. I mean, they tried hiding behind a tree. They tried, you know, putting on clothes, you know, fig leaves. And, and neither of those things, of course, worked. You know, God saw them for who they were after the fall. And yet, what does he do? He promises a Savior, and then he also clothes them, too. He casts them out of the garden, of course. Um, but he does... Uh, through the woman, um, you know, cause her conception, you know, with Adam and Eve, and and therefore, you know, we we have the generations continued. So so that promise is is going to be fulfilled. The question is not if, but when, right? But but all of this is to say that the accounts in Scripture are for our encouragement too. If they were sinners and God forgave them, maybe God forgives us too. And not maybe, but he does forgive us. You know, and, uh, you know, as often as he called uh, his wayward people to repent of their sins, so God continues to call us to repent of our sins too. Why? That he would have favor on us, and that we'd be forgiven and have his mercy. All right. So um, look at, uh, look at uh, this with reference to the Easter lily. Um, I, I found some of these things blooms during the Easter season. Not true. They don't bloom till June. Naturally. Naturally. Yeah. Okay. Well. Force them to come okay. for Easter. That's not real. Well, it, it, that's what it says in this book. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anything about flowers. Well, I, 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 I wonder if it kind of like in June. <laughs> maybe it kind of depends where you are uh, nationally. My right? dad told me that they force them to. You probably know. They Um, you know, flower of extraordinary beauty, um, that's aesthetic. 
um, and, and maybe subject, sub, subjective, um, but uh, but the white color does symbolize purity. You know, so um, you know, without blemish, without spot. You know, thinking of First uh, Peter one. You know, uh, for some reason, I'm also thinking of white pyramids that are used generally on Easter, Christmas, you know, and uh, and, and the like, uh, symbolizing purity, holiness, as well. Let's look at Second Timothy chapter one. Uh, it's, it's by means of the word alone. 
right? Independent of how you feel, which is which is kind of a, an odd thing because I, I think especially today we want to go by like how you know the majority of people go by how they feel, you know. So you see you see a video clip, and I won't mention names, but you watch any video clip about current events, and we have a gut reaction, or at least many people do, and that's what they follow. But if you can ever stand back and look at it more objectively, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I recognize that there's emotion there, but there's more to it than emotion. You know, and, uh, you know, we have the, uh, I guess, the, so, so to speak, the 2020 of hindsight in the sense that we have the written word and we have the account. The disciples, however, didn't. You know, um, and, yeah, you know, their, their world basically had collapsed. You know, here they they were with the, they were with Jesus for about three years, living with him, hearing him, uh, seeing all these wonderful things, you know, raising the dead, healing the sick, casting out demons, and all that. And uh, you know, it, it could be you know maybe an easy reaction to say, well, how come they didn't just believe? Yeah. I think we're very fortunate to be here when we're here be able to have Bible scholars and books and stuff telling us what all the stuff means in the Bible. Where if you were there and it was Thursday, you wouldn't go, this is Monday, Thursday. We're going to have uh, communion tonight. And we're going to set a precedent forever. And then last Sunday was Palm Sunday and this Easter Sunday coming up and all this stuff is getting ready to happen. They were going, I don't understand what he's talking about. Yeah. And, and I would I would venture to say that there may be uh, a number of times, even throughout our lives, where we ask the same thing, or we say the same thing. I don't know what this is about, you know. And you know what 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 is I guess in a sense clearer to us about then is not always so clear to us in the present, you know. So so we, we see all these things taking place in today's world, you know, and and you know. I, I think one of the gut reactions is, okay, what can we do to kind of stem the tide, so to speak? You know, what what can we do? What what ought we to do? Um, and uh, you know, sometimes we we forget that uh, what what we face today, what what the church has always faced. Actually, I'll say it a different way: what the church faces now has always been faced in some way by the church before. You know, and, and it might not always be about, okay, what can we do to stem the tide? What we, can we do to change things? But rather, how would God have us live at this time? What would we have, what would he have us say? What would he have us do that's different than what he has called his church and his people to do before and throughout time? You know, um, and, uh, you know, be faithful unto death, our Lord says, and he will give you the crown of life, right? So what does that faithfulness mean? I mean, that's that's really the question for our day, um, and especially in our society. If I might, uh, you know, get on the box a little bit, but uh, you know, just in terms of you know the, the tension that exists between what we call church and state. You know, um, we we are Christians and we live uh, we we live by the word of Christ, but we also live in the world too, though we are not of the world. And what does that mean, right? <laughs> I mean, there's there's a whole study right there, right? Uh, but uh, could I have someone read Second Timothy chapter one verse ten, please? And wait for him. 
and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. Okay, so, I mean, there's no specific reference to a lily here, of course, but, but kind of this idea, you know, I mean, not only lilies, but, but flowers in general, you know, <coughs> they, they could be very, very, um, very helpful just in terms of illustrating, you know, kind of like with the, and, and another slide, um, there's the, um, there's a, a, a brief uh, consideration for the butterfly, you know, which is also a common, a, a common symbol uh, for Easter. Why? Because we have the, the, the cocoon, you know, and then the butterfly, the new life, right? I mean, the same way, like flowers, they open. Now they could have different other connotations too, uh, but with reference to life, they're closed and then they open. And uh, you know, in their opening, if I'm not mistaken, I don't know much about flowers, but um, in their opening, of course, um, that's why uh, bees and birds can be really helpful, right? Because they help um, pollinate. pollinate. Yeah. It's been a while since I've been. <laughs> well, it's also the lily is also about the bulb that mm -hmm. is in the ground and it seems dead yeah. and then it comes to life. Right. Yeah. So um, that was always symbolic of right. Jesus bursting out of the grave. Right. Yeah, and, and Jesus in uh, I, I think it's John chapter 12 says to his disciples, "Unless the wheat falls to the ground and dies." Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, kind of thing with reference to him. Now, there is a reference to a lily in the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 2. So, Song of Solomon in the Old Testament. In the First Testament, after Psalms, after Proverbs. And this is kind of a short, uh, a short verse. Um, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. Um, so lilies have been around for a good while, right? Um, and then uh, let's let's look at Matthew six because uh, there Jesus references lilies too in a different context. Matthew six twenty-eight to twenty-nine. Could I have a volunteer to read those verses, please? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Their toil and spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Yeah. So so note 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 uh, note how Jesus is using the lilies. Or referencing the lilies, you know, by by their beauty, right? Um, and and then uh, you know how quickly also uh, you know, they, they fade away, he says, a little bit later with reference to the grass of the field and, and so on and so forth. But anxious about clothing, well, God clothes the lilies of the field, right? Um, in this context, of course, he feeds the birds of the air. You know, they, they neither toil nor spin, um, though the Father feeds them, you know, and the like. Um, so, so looking at, really, uh, God's creation here. Um, so in, in verse uh, 26... Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Um, and, and all of this is in the context of be anxious for nothing, because the Lord will provide. 
Um, now that 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 uh, means of provision is not determined by you, but by Him, which is kind of, you know, we, we hear so much. Uh, at least I do. You know, um, you gotta, you know, people have to decide on the right job, on the right vocation, on this and that. Um, but but the Bible speaks not so much in terms of you choosing, but God choosing for you. You know, and now He might not always tell you, okay, this is what I want you to do, kind of thing. But He gives you strengths and abilities. And therefore, you have that interest too, you know, uh, you know, to do certain things that 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 perhaps others don't have, right? They have other interests and the like, and yet God continues to provide as He does uh, through the things that He provides. So, with reference to lilies here, um, so be anxious for nothing, and that would include uh, not only concerning uh, the things that are needed in this life, but also with reference to our life in general, right? Um, and, and the scriptures teach this. Um, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <coughs> and of course, all of this is couched in the Lord's resurrection and Him having risen from the dead. Um, let's see. Starting at verse 7. And I'll just read for the sake of time, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay, or in earthen vessels, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That's twice he kind of references that. So death is at work in us, in us, but life in you. We continue, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus, the resurrection of course, will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase in thanksgiving to the glory of God. And then he writes, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And he's not talking there about the physical. Okay, because... Uh, you know, I, I think we, we do see the effects of aging, for example, you know, externally, but also internally, correct? Yeah. You know, so it, it, it's almost like the plumbing doesn't always work as well, if you know what I mean? You know, um, we don't recover as quickly. Um, maybe we need, uh, I, I don't know, I, I'm starting to notice, like, in the morning, you need, I, I need that time, you know, from the time I wake up for, you know, I don't know, maybe 30 minutes to an hour just to kind of wake up, and sometimes longer, right? Um, but uh, but we notice that Paul is not talking about those kind of internal things. Um, he's, he's talking about, uh, you know, the, the spiritual dimension here, uh, the soul, the faith. And then he writes in verse 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
and you could list off the names of things that we see all around us, both the positive and, and, and uh, the not so positive. Uh, for the things that are seen are transient, they won't last. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul talks that way in Romans 8, too. You know, um, that which, you know, we, we don't hope for what we see, we hope for what we don't see based on the word itself, you know, the promise of God. All right. Let's uh, very briefly then, oh, this is the one I want to look at. Okay. So uh, the pelican, we probably don't see too many around here, right? I know California. I, I'm guessing probably the Gulf of Mexico you might see pelicans. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I haven't been down there in a while. But, uh, but the pelican, and this is kind of interesting too, um, not so much uh, reference, uh, referenced in the Bible, but I, I did find uh, this, uh, this, this note, among medieval naturalists, it was believed that in a famine, the mother bird plucks open her breast, the mother bird, namely the, the pelican, plucks open her breast and at the sacrifice of her life, that should be feeds the young with her blood. Okay, so this is kind of medieval age kind of time. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the idea of sacrifice, you know, for others. So we, we have reference to uh, blood in Revelation chapter 1. So please, uh, the giving of blood for life. Uh, you know, sometimes we'll, we use the term lifeblood. You know, the lifeblood of Christ is, is uh, the means of life and the like. Um, verses 5 and 6 of chapter 1. Let's see. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priest, uh, made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So the emphasis here from, from our sins by his blood. In other words, he gives himself so that we might have life, and that's kind of the connection then to the, uh, you know, the, the, the pelican as it was. Now, uh, this one is kind of interesting. The phoenix. You've heard of the phoenix. Um, if you've ever watched uh, uh, Harry Potter or X Men, X Men with Phoenix. Yes. Okay, that's a character. Right? Third one. Okay. All right. Uh, but, but the idea, legend has it, and, and so you might ask the question, well, how does legend come into Christian, how, how does uh, a legendary bird that doesn't even exist, you know, come into, uh, you know, Christian symbolism with reference to Easter? Well, the legend was that after 500 years, the phoenix would burn itself with fire and rise from the ashes, so it would come back to life. And that's kind of the idea. Um, you have to be careful with that. Um, you know, taking uh, you know, taking uh, non-Christian analogies and stories, and immediately making the transition to Christianity. But it is there is a bridge there, you know, that uh, that can be had. So in terms of life, First Corinthians 15:4 speaks of resurrection. And then we have the butterfly. There's three stages, of course. There's the larvae or larva, uh, the caterpillar, the chrysalis, or the stage and then the butterfly right um, uh, a little bit earlier 
Um, on your handout on slide three, there's the reference, of course, to the open or empty tomb. The, the, the symbol of an egg, you know, kind of is, is also that of new life. You know, um, why a bird egg? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty universal. I mean, you could say a human embryo, you know, as well, but, uh, but I guess you can't really hard boil those. You can hard boil, you know, chicken eggs um, and the like, but kind of the symbol of new life, Jesus emerging from the tomb, um, that's kind of the, the picture then with the butterfly too. Okay. Um, there's a, there's a few others uh, that we could uh, perhaps talk about, but uh, I'll just uh, leave this for you for your food of thought or food for thought because uh, we have uh, we have church. So let's uh, let's close with prayer, and we'll continue with uh, Thessalonians next week. Dear gracious heavenly Father, you have given us many many illustrations and pictures of your grace and favor, your resurrection. And not only this, to remind us, but Jesus Christ himself rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And we pray that you would continually encourage us by these illustrations and examples that refer to and draw our attention to the true resurrection of our Lord who overcame sin and death, and through whose resurrection we also overcome and have the surety of sins forgiven in your blessed name. Open our ears to hear your word, open our mouths to confess your name, that we be emboldened in our day and age, in our faithfulness to you and to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.